Hello, I'm Elizabeth, an obsessive backyard gardener who might be able to offer you a couple of tips. And I'm Keith, a landscape consultant, and I'm also passionate about gardening. The one thing we both have in common is muddy muddy boots. This is our last Q&A for 2022. And thank you once again to our wonderful listeners who have sent in their questions. While we're at it, thank you to everyone who has sent in questions throughout the year. We hope all of our lucky prize winners have been enjoying their fabulous prizes from the Plant Runner. Now, let's get to it, Keith. Your first question. It is from Amanda, one of our regular Q&A participants. So thank you very much, Amanda. She says, what plants in the garden keep the mozzies away? Um, anything, anything that, um, that has a lemon scent, all right? So there's lemon-scented geraniums. There is a, a dwarf lemon-scented uh, tea tree uh, are also good. But then, of course, one of the best um, plants for keeping mozzies away are lavenders. Yeah, that's a that 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 really is a is a you know that really is something that works really really well. Great. There's another herb called hyssop, and if you had those in in, in little pots and plant and put them at the base of table if you're sitting outside, that's a great way of keeping off. But then of course you've got the other um, herbs like parsley, mm. will, will also repel uh, mosquitoes. Sage is another good one, and and if you and thyme, marigolds, tansies. Mm. Wormwoods, all these sorts of things are, are fabulous for keeping the mozzies away. But with, with a lot of the things like the sages and the thymes and the marigolds, you need to go out there and, and just give the leaves ah. a, bit of a, a bit of a scrunch and a bit of a move around just to help it release, release those... Uh, those Mozzie, yeah, detracting repelling, repelling things. smells. Yes. So they're the, 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 the standout ones that uh, I know work. Fantastic. That's mm. great. So you need to have them around your table at night or, you know, when you're having Christmas yep. Day or something so you don't get bitten. Get legs bitten. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> There's millions around at the moment. Yeah, well, it's this weather. It's this yeah. damp weather. Um, and another question from Amanda. I have some comfrey seeds and on the packet it states stratification required and cold stratification may help germination. Can you please explain this? All right. Okay, so stratification is a process of pre treating seeds in order to simulate natural conditions that seeds would experience in the soil over winter. Uh. Preheating, pre-treating, pre-treating seeds helps the seeds break dormancy and initiates the germination process. All right, so cold stratification is where the seeds are stored in in cold conditions, such as the fridge for a couple of weeks. And this imitates the overwintering of seeds that uh, that would be in the soils, you know, where they where they have snow and so forth or ice. And moist stratification is very similar, where seeds are kept in moist sawdust or builder's sand and also stored in the fridge. And then, of course, you've got wet stratification, where the seeds are pre-germinated in a mix of seaweed solution, or for Australian natives, we use what's called smoke water. Mm. And that's another way that it imitates the rains after a bushfire. Mm. And that's another way that um, we, we get stratification. So it's just a pre-germination process. So she should put her seeds into, so it says cold stratification yeah. may help germination. She should put her seeds into some into some sand and put them in the fridge or she put them into water? Which, no, no, what, for, 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 for the, for the cold, cold stratification, it's simply 
storing them in cold conditions. Oh, okay. Okay, simple. So there's a, another thing that you do, you know, we're getting off, off seeds, but that you, you, you can do the stratification for, for garlic, for instance, by putting the bulbs of garlic before you, you're going to plant, a couple of weeks before you're going to plant them, you put them into the vegetable crisper yeah, for right. a couple of weeks. Yes. And that cools them down and they yes. think, oh, it's cold. Yeah. And then once they come out, bang, off they go. Uh-huh, gotcha. Thank you for that. Our next question is from Wendy. Wendy says, I'm in Rye and I have found that I'm on a lime belt. Rye is in Victoria mm-hmm. for any other on listeners. The yes. Things I was planting were turning a bright green yellow colour. I've lost gardenias and many other plants and have realised I need to plant to my area. My problem is that by the time I realise my new favourite plant isn't thriving, another full season has gone around and I'm back to square one. It's not viable to use sulphur as I'll never fix the problem. How do I know what will work? What, what will grow in such an acidic area? I've even tasted the water and it turned a murky green also. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, poor What Wendy. do you do with this? Right. Well, it, it's, it's not an acidic area that she's in. It is alkaline, that she, the situation he has. So um, what, what you need to do is, is avoid any acid-loving plants. And this is where you're going to have to do a little bit of research. So plants like gardenias, Obviously, camellias, rhododendrons, blueberries right. are all acid-loving plants that require a pH in the 6.5 and lower range. And now your soil down there, um, just by what you've explained there, is going to be above 8. So that's, um, that's, that's really high in the alkaline. And because where you are, you're going to have um, limestone rocks Deep in, deep in the soils that are going to be continually exchanging the, the alkalinity in the soil. So you're never going to have a, have a win on that particular basis. Now, what's happening when you do put a, an acid-loving plant into an alkaline soil, the alkalinity inhibits the, uh, the metal range of elements. So the ranges like iron and manganese are not available to the plants because the pH is so high. So you've got to choose plants that are, that are, that are alkaline-loving. And it doesn't limit you in terms of, of, of flowers or anything Varieties. else like this. Yeah. So there's some wonderful things like proteas, and I know that there's some protea farms down um, down, down the rye way and even even further inland. That's uh, why, in, probably. Yeah, that's right. It's great, great areas for that. And then, of course, within that, that range of, of the, the protea flora, there's also things like leucodendrons, leucospermums, there's a great range of banksias that have the most stunning flowers now. And, of course, they've hybridised a lot of those plants so that they're dwarf. You know, so mm. you can have a whole range, not just one great big you know, plant. Um, there's also wistringias, mm. which they've hybridised now down to uh, beautiful, tight, compact growing plants. Mm. Uh, Leptospermums. But the best thing you can do is, is always check the label because most of the labels will say that it's an acid-loving or an alkaline-loving plant. Google them. That's mm. another great way just to see what their conditions are, are preferable to. Sounds like she needs to grow less of an exotic garden, more of a native-style sort of garden. Not necessarily. I mean, no. the proteas are, are, are South uh, African. No, they're South plant. African. Leucodendrums are, are sensational for their, their floral displays. Mm. Uh, Leucospermums mm. have got the, the skyrocketing flowers. Those headlights. Which are just, they look oh, like... amazing. Yep. You know, so you're not limiting yourself at all. You've just okay. got to be smart at, at your selection of plants. Check, check the yeah, label. So yep. Check the label. Okay. Good luck, Wendy, with that one. Erin now has a question. My Speaking of... 
acidic loving plants. My four-year-old blueberry bush has not had a high yield for the last two years. The leaves are plentiful. What am I missing or what can I do to have a productive plant again? I do feed it and have positioned it for morning sun and afternoon shade. I'm not entirely sure if that's right. Now Erin has also provided photos for us to see of what she feeds her plants with and that is Charlie Carp liquid fertiliser and Rich Grow Gardenia Azalea fertiliser. So what's going on with that Keith? Okay. It sounds like you're giving it all the best attention that you possibly can. So let's look at some other possible causes. Firstly, check the soil's pH. It must be in the acidic range, so a pH of 6.5 and below is what the the blueberry requires. Try mulching with pine needles. Um, It's a a great option here as it will provide and release an acid which the plants will thoroughly enjoy. And the last thing you need to do is check, that, if you can, the variety of the blueberries, as there are varieties that require a very low chill factor to provide them with a heavy crop. Um, and, and low chill varieties are ones like Blue Rose, O'Neill, Brigitte or Northland, and the best uh, blueberry for the warmer sort of climates is one called Sunshine Blue. So there's some, some options you can try. So try up testing the soil first. Make sure that it's going to be in the acidic range. And if it is, then try, try putting lots of mulch on. Um, and then maybe in the wintertime, if, you, you know, if you've got some... Go, go and get some, some bags of ice in the middle of winter and, and just cover, cover the, 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 the plants with some ice, bags of ice, oh. just over there. And that will chill the roots down. That will give it that cold chill factor mm. that might then increase the amount of um, blueberries that you're going to get. Other, other than that, if you love, love if those things don't work, then you've got to look, look for a, a warm climate variety, Blueberry. which is sunshine blue. Now, she doesn't say whether it's in a pot or not, so I'm, I gather it's, I'm guessing it's in the garden, but if it's in a pot... She should maybe change... Change the potting the mix potting to an acid-loving potting mix. Yeah. She's probably already done all that, but, yeah, yeah. that's another thing these she can just, consider. These are some ideas. Okay. All right, so Pia's question is next. Pia says, I'd like to have a greenhouse to grow seedlings and ginger. What should I consider when choosing one? And once I have one, where should I locate it? All right, well, this was the best investment that we ever made. And my greenhouse is only 1.8 by 1.8. And has, has has been the you know as I said it's been the best best thing that we have ever purchased, and it's in this little little space of 1.8 we have grown over 180 tomatoes in 140 mil pot sizes which we have shared with everyone, and at the moment it's currently growing ginger but we could also grow turmeric, galangal, and and of course I've got a, a tomato in there already, so it's gonna we, we can have that growing all year round, mm. uh, and you can do that with capsicums. And eat plants, and, and it just it just gives you the opportunity to increase the amount and variety of, of food, you know, food and food plants that you actually have. So the position, it needs a maximum amount of sunlight that it can get, a minimum of six hours of direct sunlight. So you need to sort of go and assess that sort of thing, and then you need to choose um, a, a, a greenhouse that has an uh, an, uh, an openable window at the top and a door that you can um, remain open so that you get that cross-ventilation happening. Mm. Because the temperatures inside of, of, a, of a greenhouse can be absolutely incredibly hot. And if you're not uh, ensuring that the plants are getting lots of water uptake, you'll kill what you're actually growing in there. Oh. So that's a real problem. Now, the unit that I had is actually made in Israel, and it's made with a high-quality polycarbonate material. Uh, and I've got a heat mat in there, which I use for any plants that require bottom heat. 
I've got a tap just outside the door, so I've got a nice easy access for ensuring that I've got plenty of water. And if you're having a look, have a look for a company, a distributor called Maze, M-A-Z-E, and have a look at their range. That's the the, 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 the the type that I got came from Maze, and I tell you what, I'm, I'm just Very absolutely stoked with it. Happy. Brilliant. That's fantastic. Yeah. Thanks, Keith. Okay, last, ooh, our last one is from Chris. Chris says, Keith has mentioned in a number of, of podcasts that he composts kaikuyu lawn clippings. Is this recommended for cold compost heaps? I want to avoid the grass making its way into garden beds that the finished compost will end up in. Okay. Um, if your compost, compost heap is an enclosed unit, then all clippings can go into it, uh, even, if, even if it is a, a cold, uh, cold composting system. A cold compost method is a slow one and it can become anaerobic. And what you can do there is, is add a bucket full of shredded newspaper before you add the kaikuyu clippings and this will ensure a warmer composting system that will make a quicker compost. The same method could be applied to an open compost system. Um, it's better to compost the kaiku than to dispose it in the green bin. Um, I just think it's an absolute waste because it's it, that, com, that that kaiku, the green clippings of kaiku, is all nitrogen basically. You know, so that's a great feed for for compost. Mm. Um, I've never experienced um, any problems. I cut regularly. I, I, I feed my kakuya lawn. So you know, even in in early spring, it was a beautiful dark green. Now it's growing because I'm feeding it on a regular basis every four or five weeks. And all I'm taking off is just the top of the kakuya. I'm not taking out the stems and all the rest of the stuff that could become a weedy problem. So I hope that helps you out. That sounds pretty good to me. Okay, that's it for this month and for this year's Q&A segment. Thank you, Keith, for those great answers. Now, thank you again to everyone for sending in their questions. Please don't forget to send them to us either by DM to our Muddy Boots Instagram page or by emailing gardengirl at aussiemail.com.au. And if there are any specific topics that you'd like to discuss as a main podcast, then please let us know about them as well. We would love to hear your suggestions. Now it's prize winner time. Oh, who won? Who won? Who won? Hang on. This month's winner is Erin for her concerned question regarding her non-fruiting blueberry plant. Congratulations, Erin. We will be in contact with you shortly. And thanks again go to the fabulous guys at The Plant Runner for supplying the monthly Q&A prize. We are so lucky to have them. Thank you. Visit theplantrunner.com. Thank you for listening to Muddy Boots. For more information on today's podcast, please go to muddyboots.net.au and happy gardening.